Dean has read our passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The, 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 the point of 2 Corinthians is to say to people in chapter 3, uh, do not look to the law to do what only the gospel can do. The law pointed to the coming Messiah King. It pointed to the coming Messiah King. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. All the promises, chapter 1, verse 20, he says, are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament is a book that's exhorting, encouraging the, the first century Christians to stand true to faith. Some were beginning to go back into the old ways, primarily Judaism. And so the writer of Hebrews talks about the supremacy of Christ and the glory of Christ and the goodness of Christ. And, and so in chapter 4, he just talked about the supremacy of Christ to Moses. And in verse 12, he talks about that the, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than, than, a, than a double-edged sword, and it pierces to the vision of the soul and the spirit, and it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And you go, oh, no. And then he says in verse 13, verse 13 nothing is hidden from God. In fact, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And all the people said, oh, no. That's bad news. And he says, but, but, but remember this, verse 14. He says, since then we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way we are except without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Because of who Christ is and what he has done on the cross as our great high priest, the cry is, enter into full fellowship. And so, so the, the, the burden of Paul in, in 2 Corinthians is to say, do not ever look to the law for that which only the cross can accomplish. Do not ever look to Moses to do for you what only Christ can do for you, God in the flesh, who died on the cross for your sins. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 16, but whenever you turn to Christ, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect or continuously behold the glory of the Lord, and we are transformed from glory to glory into His likeness, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Just, just this. As we continuously behold the wonder of Christ and the gospel, then we are transformed. The word is metamorphosized. We are transformed into the likeness of Christ, and the end result is to be like Christ. For example, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, a servant. But we, the way we are transformed, he says here, with, with utter simplicity, but with glorious distinction, is that we behold continuously the glory of Christ and the wonder of the gospel. My question is this, are you beholding the wonder of Christ? Are you beholding the glory of the gospel? If you are, you are being transformed. I, I never t 
entire uh, this Confessions by Augustine. It's a biography, autobiography of his first 36 years of his life. And Augustine was 33. He came to faith in Christ after struggling with years of different philosophical fads, after struggling over uh, immorality. He came to Christ. He surrendered to Christ. And, and this is what he says in part. Uh, this is from the ninth book of the Confessions. He's 33 years old, reflecting back. He says, and what I feared to be parted from was now a joy to part with. For thou didst cast them forth from me, thou who art the true and highest sweetness. And then he goes on, he says this. Uh, sweeter than all pleasure, brighter than all light, higher than all honor. Now was my soul free from the biting cares of canvassing and getting and wallowing in filth and scratching off the itch of lust. And my childlike tongue spake freely to thee, my brightness, my riches, my health, the Lord who is my God." And I just thought, that, that's beholding. That, that is beholding the glory of Christ. My richness, the one who is sweetness, the one who is my brightness, the living Christ. And so he, Paul says here in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he, he says this, he says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves, as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now listen. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of the living God in the face of Jesus Christ. As I look at this, I ask myself, I ask you, am I beholding the glory of Christ in my life? Am I beholding the glory of the gospel? And we who with unveiled faces, who are continuously beholding the glory of Christ, are being transformed. Man, I want that. Into His likeness. From glory to glory. That's your birthright, child of God. Beholding the glory of Christ. And the end result is to be like Jesus. Romans 8. Those whom He foreknew in His marvelous love, He predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son Jesus. That He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Are you beholding the glory of Christ. Now, I just want to ask this question. I'm going to give some, three answers. Why are we not continuously beholding? Um, three things. Why, why are we not continuously beholding? Number one is that we are not aware of spiritual warfare and the schemes of the devil, therefore, there is little watchfulness in our lives. We are, at times, asleep at the helm. We don't realize 
there's warfare going on around us. There's warfare going on in our lives. I'm talking to you about, about two schemes of the devil. In 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, listen. Verse 3. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The number one scheme of the devil, number one, is to blind the eyes of unbelievers and to obscure our vision of seeing the glory of Christ. The devil wants to blind you to the beauty of Jesus. And what's interesting, when you read, when you read Scripture, uh, you think, well, how does, how does Satan, uh, what is his ploy to, to blind us? And say, well, sin is bad. Sin blinds. It does. But let me suggest this. When you read the New Testament, a lot of the things that blind us or keep us from seeing the beauty of Christ are things that have taken a disproportionate place in our hearts in the area of our affections. We just become too busy. We become idol makers. We become way too, too fixated on something that has a minimal impact, and we forget the glory of Christ. I'll give you an example. 13 days from now, I'm excited about Florida State playing Clemson. I'm, I'm excited. This guy's going to be game day. Probably going to be 8 o'clock kickoff. I'll get to see half the game, which really bothers me. But I'm excited. There's nothing wrong with sports. But it's easy for that to eat up your thinking time. It, it's easy. You think about what Jesus says in Matthew, excuse me, Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate, hate, father and mother, wife, children, brother, sister, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. I wonder what he's saying there is that, is that my affection for Christ must eclipse every earthly relationship because when that happens, then I'll be a better husband, a better, a better father, a better son, a better brother. But, but Christ destroys the primacy of the, the nuclear family. He's always destroying those things that draw us away. And so what happens, we become busy, we become people who do good things, but we neglect really beholding the beauty of Christ. There was a little book by a guy named Swinton, a physician, several books about, about something called Margin. And, and he's a, taught at the University of Wisconsin-Madison for years and years and let me just give you the formula. Formula, I think through this a lot, is that, is that the energy that my life has minus the demands on my life equals margin. And his thesis was that the vast majority of Americans operate in the red. Their margin requires more than their energy is, is there. I mean, it, he says we operate in the red financially. We spend more than we make. We operate in the red physically. We don't get enough sleep. We don't eat right. We don't exercise. We, we operate in the red in our relationships. There are broken relationships everywhere. We are busy, busy, busy. And there's no margin. 
And he says that creates stress and ulcers and divorce and heartache and destroys your life. A margin. I was reading recently about a, a wellness resort in Koh Samui, Thailand that somebody went to. They said they went to see their counselor. And they said to their counselor, I'm waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning and eating cereal and cream. I'm chopping up donuts and frying them in butter and then eating them. And the counselor said, you're kind of out of control here. He said, I have no margin. So they went to this wellness retreat in Koh Samui, Thailand. It's a five-day retreat. You get full body massages twice a day, foot rubs every day, acupuncture twice a day. You sit around and you meditate for a couple hours a day, so forth and so on. And then I thought about Psalm 46 when it comes to thinking. Psalm, Psalm 46 says, verse 6, the, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, but he utters his voice and the earth melts. The nations do rage, the kingdoms do totter. And he says in verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength. God is a very present help in time of trouble, therefore we will not fear Though all the earth should change and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Now, I'll just say one reason we do not behold the glory of Christ is because we, we just don't understand the absolute necessity of doing so. We don't understand the warfare around us. We don't understand the schemes of the devil. Are you beholding the beauty of Christ? Another scheme of the devil is in this book, 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, I'll tell you what happened. In 1 Corinthians, there's a man who is living with his father's wife. Okay, you got it? Living, he's a professing Christian, living with his father's wife in open adultery. And Paul says to them, listen, even the Corinthians don't do that. He's living with his stepmama. I don't care if she is a trophy wife. That's just weird. It's wrong. He says, deal with it, church. I'm not with you in body, but I have handed this man over to Satan so that his physical body might be ravished, but his soul saved for the day of judgment. This is serious stuff, he says. Sin is serious. He says, there's a little leaven goes throughout the whole body, so you deal with it. And they did. They, they did. We think. Because in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul comes back and he says, listen. He says, I, I beg you now to reaffirm your love for, for him. We think he's talking about this, this man who formerly lived with his father's wife. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have Forgiven anything has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we're not unaware of his schemes or his designs. And what happened is, Paul says, you know, here's the peril of the pendulum. You've got, first of all, 1 Corinthians 5, you kind of threw up your arm and says, no big deal, whatever, whatever, whatever. And now you're over here and you're just beating this guy to death. He said, take the word of God, take the apostolic message and live here. He's forgiven He's repented of his sin. He's forgiven. Man, embrace the guy. Throw a party for him. 
He's a brother in the Lord who's repented. That's glorious. Not just that, well, Raymond, I just thought Satan desires to make us become extremists. C.S. Lewis, there's a wonderful book called The Screwtape Letters, talks about how the demons love for us to be either preoccupied with the demonic or just ignore it. And he says this, this is a great line. The demons, they themselves, are equally pleased by both heirs. They will hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. They'll, they'll applaud a guy who's living for the, only the here and now and what he can see. Or they'll applaud someone who's all torn up by seeing things and sensing things that are not true and outside of Scripture. There's a little statement here. On, on, it's entitled Deliverance Ministries, written by some very godly theological leaders. Let me just, they had like 21 statements. This is number 10. Listen. I just thought this was so good. Demons are properly expelled from our lives only by the power of God based on the triumph of Jesus Christ through the potency of the Holy Spirit. That's a good line. The power of God through the triumph of Christ by the power of the Spirit. No magic, divination, bargaining, or ritual, no matter how effective it may appear, can replace reliance on the strong name of Jesus Christ and the power of his work on the cross at Calvary. The use of objects, holy water, crosses, run the risk of being viewed as nothing more than Christian magic. What it says is just stay centered on Jesus. You glory in the greatness of the cross. You stay there. You, you, you glory in that. So the second, the second reason, the second reason we do not continuously behold Christ and the glory of Christ is that we are unaware of the power of the dark side. Therefore, there's no urgency in developing the Christian mind. Now, now, now hear me. Because we don't understand the power of darkness, we are not urgent about developing a Christian mind. Now, listen, okay. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul is addressing this issue, and this is what he says. He says, Major on Christ, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition and according to the elementary spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in Christ the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. He said, don't, don't be taken captive. He says three things. Number one, they all work together. They're inter, inter, interspersed. Number one, Human, excuse me, philosophy and empty deceit. The latest craze, the latest fad. Number two, human traditions. Number three, elemental spirits, which is another way of saying the forces of darkness. And because I don't, I'm not unaware of the dark side, I don't live with urgency and thinking Christianly. In the lifetime of many people who will be here today, We've been exposed to people like Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot in Cambodia. And, and, and these, all, these men all had this in, in a common credo. There is no God, and if there is a God, that God is undefinable, and he has left it up to a strong man or a, a, a small group to define reality and truth for everybody else. 
There is no God who has spoken. There is no God to whom I'm accountable. Therefore, I will call the shots. Empty philosophy. The traditions of their minds. Elemental spirits. Millions upon millions upon millions were martyred. 1994, Rwanda, a country of 10 million people, max, 8 to 10 million people. The majority Tutsi rose up against the ruling Hutus, and 500,000 to 1 million were butchered in about six weeks. And, and the people would go from village to village with machetes, machetes, not guns, machetes. And, and beat people to death. And as they did so, they would scream out, kill the cockroaches. Kill the cockroaches. The Christian worldview says that all men are worthy of respect and Christian love because all men are made in the image of Christ. And Christ died for mankind. In our day and age, we are using abortion as a means of birth control and gender selection. And for years, the pro-choice argument was, well, it doesn't become a human being until the 12th or 13th week. We know that's not true now. Now they say, well, it's just our choice. And we stand up and say, no, life is a gift from God. All men are worthy of respect and Christian love. See, a world, see, developing a Christian worldview. We are unaware of the power of the dark side, therefore we're kind of... This is from an international magazine. Uh, and really, I, I live a pretty sheltered life. If I had just been given this, I thought this, this is... I said, come on, this is... Just listen. The title is Born in the Wrong Body. It's about transgendered people. This article says that they're calling transgendered people the next civil rights frontier. It's estimated by the UCLA Williams Institute that 0.3% of Americans are transgendered, which is 700,000 people. I don't know how they determine that. I haven't been surveyed about this. Maybe you have. But seriously, I mean, this, is, this breaks my heart. It says that, that um, there are now laws on the books, been passed in California, that, that will allow young men who are physiologically men to go into the locker rooms of young women in high school because they would tell their teacher, really, I am uh, existentially a female even though I look like a male. And then I read this. With a growing number of prepubescent children declaring themselves transgender. No. Instead of hiding their feelings, some clinics are giving 12 to 13-year-olds puberty blockers or drugs and hormones to keep them from developing secondary sex characteristics. The blockers are reversible, so they buy time in which teens can decide if they really want to make a transition, if they want to stay male or become female, or say female and become male. And it quotes a physician who's a specialist in gender and sexuality at Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago. Now these kids are beginning to have a voice. And I'm thankful. 
That breaks my See, we believe the Bible says that gender is part of the goodness of God's creation. And so I read this, and I, instead, of, I want to weep. If, if, you believe, if you grow up with a worldview that says everything about you is, is the impersonal plus time plus chance, including your sexuality, your sexual preference, your, your marital status, it, it's, it's all up for grabs, and it goes from season to season. You may be female now, but you may be male in 10 years. You may be whatever. If, 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 if that is your worldview, then this, it opens the door for stuff like this. Do you see that? And it's coming to a zip code near you. And we've got to learn to think biblically and speak with broken compassion to people. And it's, it's just a great, a great concern for me. And that, that's why, you know, our, our purpose statement is equipping people to pursue Christ's passion to impact the culture. We need to be equipped. We need to think biblically. And just spirituality it is so in vogue to be spiritual today. I mean, it is. Everybody's spiritual. I think Oprah is a very kind woman. I think she's done a lot of good, but there's great confusion whenever she talks about this. So she's on her show recently talking to a pastor, a pastor who knows better and who didn't correct her. Come on, man. And she says this, this is a verbatim quote, my primary most earnest goal in life is to remain connected to the world of the spirit. She goes on, she says, my favorite Bible verse, which has been my favorite Bible verse since I was eight years old, is Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This has been my mantra through all my experience. Delight in the Lord and his goodness, kindness, compassion, love, and see what happens. Well, yeah. It's my dream to encourage other people to connect the odds of their spirituality, to transform themselves, to realize the fullness of their being, and to live in that fullness. This is where all of our potential lies, and getting people to see it is what I was created for. And you know, it, it just sounds good when you say, well, Oprah, define the spiritual. I, she says, I can't define the spiritual. You define that. And we step up with this, just a book in our hand called the Bible. We said, let us define the spiritual for you. There is one God, the maker of the heavens and the earth. He is eternal. He is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this one great eternal God in his triune glory developed a plan for the redemption of his people before time began. And he, he, he gave a special group of people called the Jews signs and sacrifices to point to the coming Messiah. And in the fullness of time, a, a man named Jesus was born of a woman named Mary supernaturally, and he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross for our sins, fulfilling the Old Testament sacrificial system. And he rose victorious over death, and he ascended into heaven, and he's praying for us right now. And all who trust in him have an eternity in heaven with this God who is gloriously good. But to reject that is to reject the extended love of God. That's a spiritual person. That, that, that's, that, that's, that, that's who we are. And then Madonna was interviewed recently in Harper's Bazaar. Madonna was kind of tracing through her life. And she goes, well, when I was... When I was 35, I was, I was just not doing well. And then I discovered Kabbalah, which is a Jewish mysticism that is 
you know, just kind of out there. And, and she says, it really has helped give definition to my life. And she says, now my mentor tells me that, that really, he says, to be a Jew is to be a good Muslim, and to be a good Muslim is to be a good Christian, and to be a good Christian is to be a good Buddhist. And then she says this, and so forth. And I can see her waving her hand, and so forth. There's no distinction. There's no distinction. And we step forward and say, no, there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved except the name Jesus. That's what the apostles taught, and they were murdered for it. That's why the early church taught, and they were burned in Nero's gardens for it. That's what men and women have taught all over this world. And for centuries, they've been put to death because they just defined spirituality. And how dare we not? And so, I, I, brothers and sisters, we, we are unaware of the power of the dark side. Therefore, we don't have urgency. In Romans chapter 12, Paul traces out the glory of redemption. In chapters 1 through 11. And then he comes to chapter 12 in Romans and he says, Therefore, or based upon chapters 1 through 11, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Are you thinking Christianly? Are you developing a Christian world and life view? Let me show you this simple diagram. When I was a child, we had a three-legged stool in our sitting room. And I'd sit on it as a kid and just stayed there forever. And one day I sat on it and it fell apart because of the one of the legs had come unglued, and boom, three-legged stool. So listen, as your pastors, elders, staff, this, this is kind of, we want you to look at, think about this. We want you to do and be involved in three things. W stands for worship. Worship. Worship is important. Being with God's people on Lord's Day is important. But it's got to be personal worship throughout the week. Family worship. Worship. C is community groups or small groups. We talked about community groups a lot. Community groups are small groups of men and women who are gospel-saturated and living redemptively, transformed by the Scripture, who have a vision for mission in the world. You need to be involved in a small group of people who are praying for you and you're thinking together and looking forward together. And CM stands for a Christian mind. We, we want you to be involved 
once a week in a study where the Word of God is shaping your life. You're thinking Christianly. And it leads to M, a missional life or the mind of Christ. So uh, listen, develop a Christian mind. That's what I'm talking about now. Develop a Christian mind. And one, one great avenue for that is Sunday morning Bible study. There are a lot of people here who just don't go to Bible study on Sunday morning. You're here. Waffle House is going to be open after you go to Sunday school. Go, we have very gifted teachers pe- teaching a, a cafeteria approach of, of all types of issues that are grounded in Scripture. Just go. Sit, ask questions, learn. It's very important. Bring your children to worship. A lot of our kids don't go to worship. They, they grow up not going to worship. It breaks my heart. Come on. They need to see mom and dad worshiping. They need to see the body of Christ worshiping. Worship, small groups, Christian mind, mission, the mind of Christ. Simple. Think about it. The, th- the third issue is this. We, 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 we forget... We forget that it tra- listen, transformation takes place as we continuously behold the beauty of Christ and the glory of the gospel. That's it. And so when we forget that, then we don't see the vital importance of worship. Personal worship, corporate worship. See, this, this is vital. This is important. This is glorious. I need it. I was thinking about this, and there's a several year ago or so, we had a wedding here. It was a very special wedding for a number of reasons. I've known the bride for a long time and the groom, and the mother of the bride has been struggling with cancer. And uh, just a valiant person. And so we had the wedding, and the mother bride was sitting there, and she, we've been praying the whole time that she would have the energy necessary to have out-of-town guests and have a hectic week and to still enjoy the wedding ceremony. And she did. And she did. And those of you that have had children get married, especially if they're your daughters, know if you get married in your hometown, it is just, you have guests and you have details and you have all kinds of stuff going on. Man, it is a lot. It's a Saturday afternoon wedding. I come to church Sunday morning. I go in the back of the gym, and there sitting the mother of the bride. Now, I, a dear woman struggling with cancer, guests all week. It was a wonderful wedding. She loved her son-in-law, loved her daughter. That was wonderful. But still, emotionally, you feel like you're just steamrolled. I came up and I knelt next to her and I said, so good to see you. I'm really shocked to see you here after yesterday. And she said this. I just, you just bless myself. She said, Buster, you don't know how much I need this. <laughs> I went, amen. I need to be with God's people. I need to sing about the Savior. I need to read the Word and to hear the Word. I need this. And so, so, 
because we don't understand that we're transformed as we behold Jesus. Worship isn't vital. But if we understand that, worship is central. I've got to see God. I've got to see Jesus. In Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, there's a great falling off of faith. God says, you've been unfaithful. You've done this, you've done that. But he says, but I have a remnant. Chapter 3, verse 16, he says, then, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him to those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And I thought, that's worship. Those who reverence God come together and they remember the great things of God and they glory in Him. I need that. I need the people of God. So church, as I, as I think of this, let me mention two, two things. The, the first is this. Uh, if this is... If, 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 if you understand that we're transformed as we continually behold the glory of Christ and we're changed from glory to glory by His Spirit and into His likeness, this is what happens. God won't let you off the hook. If you're His, He won't let you off the hook. And we all have bad days. We have bad weeks. We have times when we just are not what we... But, but God won't let you stay there. And I, and I thank God for that. I glory that the Holy Spirit doesn't let us off the hook. And there are people today, God is dealing with you about an attitude or an issue or integrity or whatever. I told the men Friday morning, I quoted from a book on holiness, and I said, you know, this, this author said that, that holiness is the everyday small decisions that we make day after day after month after month after year after year. It's looking the other way or is stopping to listen or is caring enough to, to, to embrace. It's the little things. And I, I looked around the gym, I looked at all these older men who for year after year and decade after decade have just lived with faithfulness. I thank God for them. And they would say, you know, well, God won't let you off the hook. When he's dealing with you, he won't let you off the hook. The second thing about beholding the glory of Christ is it brings a beautiful and rugged consistency in your life. Faithfulness. Change. I was thinking that some, some people are like, no offense to Omaha, Nebraska natives, but some people are like Omaha. And we need to be more like Singapore. Let me explain. This, this is wild to me. Uh, this past May in Omaha, Nebraska, on Sunday, it was 32 degrees. On, on Tuesday, Sunday 32, on Tuesday, it was 101. <laughs> Set records on both sides of the scale. And I thought, you know, some of us are like Omaha weather. We blow hot and cold. We're looking for the next fad, the next fix, the next high. Nothing wrong with experiences. But I want us to be like Singapore. Faithful. See, Singapore, if you ever go to Singapore, do not take your fleece. Do not take your gloves. Every day in Singapore, every day, the low is 80 to 81, and the high is 89. 
every day. It's on the equator. You know, the equator doesn't tilt. 81, 89. What's the weather today? High is 89, low is 81. What's the weather going to be next month? High is 81, 89, low is 81. Now you have a wet season and a not so wet season. But it's 89, 81 every day. You see, when I, when, I, when I see people who've been consistent over the long haul, they're beholding Jesus. And as they do it, they're being transformed into the likeness of Christ from glory to glory. We need to see Jesus. We need to behold Him. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we are uh, your people, and this is your word. I, I say we're your people, Lord. I, I know there are people here today who are in process or who are having questions, and I really pray they would see the beauty of the gospel. I, I pray, Lord, for us who claim Christ, that we would learn how to speak with compassion and tenderness to those who do not agree with us, to speak with compassion, tenderness to people whose worldview is so far from ours, but to speak. I pray we treat people with dignity. I pray we treat people with love, no matter where they are in their persona or in their worldview, that we just love folks and care for them. And Lord, I pray that we would behold Jesus and the glory of the gospel. And as we do that, that we would be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Take our personalities with all of our differences, but mold us into a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who reflects Christ. And do that from glory to glory by your Holy Spirit. And I thank you that I can name scores of people in my life, in this church, that have lived that way. Everyday faithfulness as they behold the beauty of Christ. Oh God, make us your men and your women, please. Lord, show people who do not know you what it means to say, I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son. I believe He died on the cross for my sins. I believe He rose victorious over death. I believe He ascended to the Father. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. I believe in the life everlasting. Show them what it means to say that. We give you praise in Jesus' name.